And this is Kev. I think he's a familiar face to, to probably quite a few in the room. If you come to the 6 p.m.s, then you, you would have seen Kev, and he's sometimes here in the mornings too. And uh, Kev has a, a particular link with Macedonia, Northern Macedonia. Uh, he's a trustee of a, a um, little charity called Mission Macedonia, and we as a church, you, us together as a family, we support all kinds of mission partners around the world. That's what, So when we talk about global mission, which is what... Um, Jeremy gives his time voluntarily to on the staff team, so being in contact with all of these folks around the world uh, in different kind of contexts. Um, we, we pray for them. We give money to most of them, not all of them. Um, some of them are individuals. Some of them are kind of charities. Some of them are wider like, like the Diocese of Kenya. Uh, so Kev is one of those and has been for a couple of years, as in you're not the mission partner yourself, but you're representing Mission Macedonia, which is... And, um, so it'd be great to pray. Do you want, we're going to do a few questions first, and then shall I pray for you? Let's do some, yeah, let's, yeah. Yeah, all right, okay, go on then. Questions first? Yeah, who's going to okay. ask who? I don't know. Do, do any of you want to ask me a question? <laughs> no? About Macedonia. Just chance, just chance. How old <laughs> am I? Do you know, I've got my late, late 60th birthday coming up very soon. So that gives you a clue, doesn't it? So I'm not 60, but I was. I can tell you from experience, Kev is 60 going on 23. Thank you. That's a bit too loud there, eh? <laughs> okay, um, so yes, yeah, so I've been involved in Macedonia. It came out of a prayer meeting, really. I think all good things come out of prayer, don't they? Mm. came out of a prayer meeting. We just started praying for Macedonia. And then New Wine, actually, one of the guys, uh, Jimmy, who's, he's a, oh, it's quite hard to describe. He's, he's big Nigerian guy, larger than life. Mm. Um, and he, he's been out there for 20, 30, 40 years. I'm not quite sure how long, but planting churches. He's planted about 28 churches, I think, now. Mm. It's a very poor country, Macedonia. There's, there's like, um, I think, half a percent evangelical Christians, a lot of Orthodox, mm. which is a bit weird, mm. and a lot of um, Muslims as well. And um, so it's, it's in a sense, it, in one way it's tough out there, but another way there's just so many opportunities mm. to share the gospel. Mm. There's a small team of pastors that work their socks off out there going around all these churches. Um, and we, we, we've come alongside them, and we pray for them every week. Um, we're trying to raise money for them. We've got visions of doing music festivals, for outreach, for uh, building a training school, of working with the uh, Roma guys, the really, um, who's sort of like the underbelly of mm. society out there, really. Mm. It's because it's quite a mixed place. But yeah. Kev, how would you respond to this? Because in the end, all, all of that desire is to see people come to faith in Jesus and grow in Jesus, to see the church yeah. grow in Northern Macedonia. And it's a, and it's a pretty tough uh, gig. Because the, the, the ground is hard there spiritually. But a lot of people might say, well, hang on a minute. The, the ground in England is also hard. We, we might have been, inverted yeah. commas, some kind of Christian nation. That's clearly not the case anymore. Um, so why would we, <laughs> what's, the, what's the merit in, in investing time and energy in, a, in another country? As good as that might be when our own is hard going. Yeah. I think God, Jesus has a plan. And, you know, through prayer, we work out, once you make, put yourself available, you work out where your place is. In, in, in the ground plan. I think Jesus, this is how I sort of see it, he sort of places you in different things. And sometimes, you know, I wasn't expecting to be out in Macedonia, but I think that's where he's placed me for this season. Um, and, uh, and I think you know that when you're in the right place as well. For me, I get, you know, I had opportunities out there that I wouldn't have got in England. So far more speaking opportunities. I've been praying for people and seeing pretty, well, most people praying for being, filled with the Holy Spirit and, and healed of all sorts of things. And I think Jimmy's just given me 
a platform out there, which I don't think I would have got in this country. I wouldn't have got those experiences. So that increases my faith. So it's not just about what I'm doing out there. It's about what God's doing in me as well, I think. Sure. It's back to that thing of as, as you go to serve, because you, you don't go to get something, but in the giving of yourself, mm. you come back with more. That's the testimony of, of, of all of us, I know, in different mm. ways. And if you've been uh, on, involved in any kind of mission trip or something like that, you're, you're going to serve and you're going to meet a need, and that's the right motivation out of love for others. But actually, mm. you, God can't help but bless you as you go. Mm. And that's been uh, the experience. Out of interest, who in the room has been on some kind of mission trip, overseas mission trip, something like that? Just stick a hand in the air. Yeah. Mm. I asked this last week, and it was a pretty, pretty good crowd i do want to mm. commend that so much right kev i'm going to pray for you and you're going to preach god's Can word just plug the the mission trip that's coming up can i do that now uh yeah do you want to do that now yeah okay go on then so briefly okay so last september um we did the first sort of trinity trip i took out uh, josh and hudson and elliot and a young man called timothy um they came out on on, on a trip um and we spent a week with a little bit more uh, going around the country uh, having an uh, incredible time just, just doing mission work, um, outreach, working with the poor, doing church services. And, and really, I mean, the guys did amazingly well. And anyone who, who can pray, anyone that can love people, can come out, really. And I've got, I've got a trip coming up. Um, and I've got some leaflets here. So please grab one of these. And there's some out on the table as well. If you want to know a bit about it, you want to... Listen, listen I need some people to come out with me. Uh, 6th to the 12th of September. That's five weeks' time. If you really want to come, if you feel God speaks to you today about that, why not come? Why not give it a go? Why not, why not come and join me on a small team? Um, the cost is fairly reasonable, about £450, everything in, flights, hotels, um, food, transport, and a lot. So um, it's not too bad that. But I just have a, ask God tonight, is that the right thing for me? Should, should I get some mission experience? Um, how did you find it, Tim? You, you yeah, so, totally loved it. Clearly, I was going partly on behalf of, on our behalf, to to check it out, to see what it was like, so that we can run trips like this and go, yeah, it's kosher and it's good, and you know, uh, all, and the burgers are amazing, frankly. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I commend it hugely. It is cheap, rel well, inexpensive, relatively speaking, uh, and, and people can save up for. It. And by the way, there are bursts for any of these trips. There are bursaries. I want to say that Jeremy administers a scheme. If you, if money's an issue and it usually isn't with God, because it's usually not about money, it's about trust, um, then there's, there's, we've got some dosh to, um, to subsidize trips like this. But 6th to 12th of, of September, that's over a weekend, so you're if you're in work, you're probably only taking three days holiday for that, three days annual leave, something like that. Beautiful. If you're a student, you haven't started work in September anyway. Um, so, uh, yeah, I want to commend that, because... Um, it's just beautiful to see what God is doing somewhere else, and it gives us that bigger perspective, doesn't it, on the on a world? We see some different people who also love Jesus, and um, it, yeah, it's so beneficial. It's great, right? Let's pray. Stretch out a hand towards uh, towards Kev, please, and um, I'll just be quiet for a minute. In fact, first, just tell God what you'd like to happen in the next half an hour for you, mm -hmm. and then I'm going to pray for him. So thanks, Father, that, um, again, that you, you didn't stand, set the whole thing going and stand at a distance to see how we got on. You're mm. a father, and you love to communicate with your kids. So we tell you that we're listening. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you for your enduring word. We thank you that there is an anchor 
in a world of shifting values and everything else, there is an anchor and it's your word. And uh, Lord, thank you that Kevin loves your word, wants to lean on your word, wants to now be the spokesperson for your word. Mm. So anoint him to do that by your spirit and us as we listen. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to grab a swig of water. Can everyone hear me okay? Well with it? Hey, thanks for coming out tonight, by the way. They've been a bit lonely without you. Um, I've I got a question, and that is, where's your wealth? And I guess we're all different ages. Looking around, we're, you know, there's quite a variety of ages, aren't there? Some of you are young and you're thinking, what's wealth? <laughs> Some of you are older and thinking, oh, is it in my home? Did I invest it in my family? You know, university fees, all that sort of stuff? Or oh, is it in church, in my time there? I wonder, what, I wonder what, how you'd answer that. Where is my wealth? But, but I want to turn that around actually and ask God. You know, God, what have you done? What have you invested in? You know, what do you think God has invested in? And I think when you watch any of these nature programs, it's clear, isn't it, that we live in an incredible world, don't we? And I love these like deep sea ones as well. Some of the weird, weird creatures that are there. And God has invested in, in, in nature. But I think his biggest investment is in me and you and everyone. Actually. Why, don't you, why don't you look around the room and just look at somebody you don't know? I'll, I'll give you an op permission to stare at somebody just for a few seconds. You can do micro glances if you don't like staring. Have a look at somebody. And uh, How are they different to you? What do you think that person is like? Hmm. What do you think? The truth is, they are different to you in every single way. That person you're looking at is far more complex than you can imagine. You know, where they were born, with their DNA, how they think, what they look like, what they prefer to eat, what music they like. Everything is, is different to you, isn't it? And actually, what you see in them and what you see in the mirror is not the full story because God sees far more than you see. Very different to what you see. And, I, and he has invested a huge amount in every one of you. You know, out of his love and, and just, I think perhaps just for fun as well, he's created you. Some of you, you compare yourself with others. I know this is a young person thing particularly. You know, oh, she's better looking than me, or he's stronger than me. Whatever. But everybody is beautiful in their own way. And I, I've got, I've got, I happen out at a coffee shop at the moment, doing a few shifts. And I have a lady that comes in called Claire, and she's thalidomide. If you don't know what that is, in the 50s and 60s, I had a, a birth, um, for act of depression, but sickness, you know, birth sickness, pregnancy sickness thing, uh, to, to to counteract that, and it's caused lots of defects in babies. So she's got no arms, she's got little hands, she's got no arms. And I was thinking about Claire, and she was telling me how she does her gardening, how she brought up two children, changed their nappies with her feet, how her handwriting is much better with her left foot than with her right hand. <laughs> and I was thinking, wow, she's amazing. You know, and even though when some things come against us and stunned us a bit, she is, I would have to say, she's wonderfully and beautifully made. You know, even with that quirk of what's, what's caused her, her birth defect. And, and, and you're just so beautiful to God. Um, and I want to look at a guy today and look at what God invested in him, okay? And that's Paul. Now, we know, we know various things about Paul. Uh, probably the greatest missionary uh, of all time, people would say. But I wonder if we'd have him as our Trinity lead evangelist, because there's a, a, a record of what he looked like 
from a book called The Acts of Paul, second century. And he, was, he had a hook nose, he was little, he was balding, he had like um, bow legs. Uh, he wasn't a very attractive bloke. He was very sort of, oh, you know, passionate, but uh, divided churches. He had got a prison record. So I don't know if he came from an interview at Trinity, whether he'd get the job being an evangelist, to be honest. Um, but, but God could see through Paul, from, from even from when he was born. But let's look at him as a teenager to start with, okay? So teenage Paul, um, his family has moved away from Israel, and they're, they're set up in... Um, place called Tarsus, which is near the Mediterranean coast in Turkey. Um, and it's a Roman place that they've uh, Roman occupied, and they love that because they've got a peace and prosperity they never had. And Paul's family uh, made tents, uh, very good at it, for the Roman army mainly. And they got, um, because of their good services in tent making, uh, they became, the father became a Roman citizen, which was hereditary. So this teenage lad is now a Roman citizen, He's, cut, he's got a real Jewish heart, though. He loves his uh, upbringing, all the scriptures. He's got a heart for the temple, back, right back in Jerusalem, although he's never been there yet. Uh, but he just has a love for all that Jewish stuff. And his name is Saul. They're from the tribe of Benjamin. And Saul was the like, big warrior king um, that David replaced. Um, so that, that's his sort of Jewish background. But, he, he, but he's, he's in a Greek culture. And Greek is his oxygen. He loves speaking Greek, and he's good at speaking Greek. And his family also speak Aramaic. That's their, that's their sort of family language, that, uh, similar to what Jesus spoke. Um, so you've got this young man, haven't you, who's got all of this going on in him. And he lives in Tarsus, which is a university town. I guess probably compare it to Durham, because it was like the third university, best university around. You know, Athens and Alexandria were better. Um, but you'd expect that this young man would go to Tarsus, but he didn't want to do that. And he said to his parents, I want to go and study in Jerusalem. Yeah, I want to make a name for myself. and I'm not going to make a name for myself in Tarsus. I want to go to Jerusalem and I want to train to be a Pharisee. It was like a four-year course that he went on. So his dad had some older brothers, so they, they joined the family business. They could let Saul Go. So Saul goes and does his apprenticeship as a, a Pharisee. And the, at the time, there's some amazing rabbis there, including one called Gamaliel. He was like the, um, do you call him, is the word goat? I was talking about with Ben earlier, the word goat, the greatest of all time. <laughs> so I think Gamaliel was the goat as far as rabbis were concerned uh, at, at that time. Um, so he goes off there and he does so well in his studies that he becomes a rabbi himself at, at, a, at a young age. So this is Saul. But what's going on at the same time, as Saul as a young rabbi, is that there's this whole Jesus thing going on. And Saul knows about this because there's all this rumor that Jesus is going to tear the temple down in three days and rebuild it, that he's kicking out the laws of Moses, and there's all these rumors going around. And of course, the high priest at the time, Caiaphas, manages to trump up charges against Jesus and get him crucified. So that sort of rids Jewish life of that, uh, the, the, the sort of Jesus scourge. But then after that, a few months later, we find they've, they've reappeared again. And they are preaching that Jesus has risen from the dead, um, that he's the only way for forgiveness. And there's one of the guys even coming onto the temple steps and, and preaching this stuff. Uh, this guy called Stephen. So they get this follower of Jesus, Stephen, take him into court, and as they're trying to accuse him of things, he gets a vision of Jesus 
in glory. And he says, I can see Jesus. He's standing by the right hand of the Father. And, and to them, that is blasphemy because only the high priest can go into the presence of God once a year. So they start covering their ears and shouting blasphemy. And they drag Stephen out of the temple, right outside the gates. And they, and they have a, this execution, stoning, where there's some witnesses. They take their coats off. They give it to the young rabbi, who is Saul, who oversees it, and everyone starts throwing stones at Stephen. He shouts out, forgive them, Lord, for they don't know what they're doing, and then he, he's killed, and he's died. And Saul, the young Saul, nods approvingly, yeah? This is a story. So then, Saul, I think, he's got a chance now to make a name for himself. He's actually, we need to rid the Jewish faith of this Jesus scourge. They called, the early followers called themselves the way, right? The ones that followed Jesus. And he was going to make sure that he brought the way down. And he goes around Jerusalem for two years, persecuting them, trying to bring, drag Christians into prison. And many of them leave Jerusalem, including Peter and others who go back to Galilee. Then after two years, uh, they realize that there's actually um, a lot more of these churches, the way, starting up around the diaspora, around other countries, and the high priest has this plan to go and send people out to these other places and round up the Christians. Yeah? You with me so far? So this is, this is, this is what Saul. And Saul volunteers for this. Interestingly, Rabbi Gamaliel was against it. Because he was saying, well, do you know, Saul, if this is of God, then you're going against it. If it's not, it's die away. Don't get so agitated. But I think Paul was really up for persecuting it. He, want, he loves the temple of God. I mean, he loves the law. He knows the minutiae of it. And he doesn't want to see that change. And Caiaphas just wants to keep peace. So Caiaphas is more than delighted to have one of Gamaliel's followers who's multilingual, who knows the scriptures inside that, and has, has got some now and some determination. He'll go out and round up Christians. Yeah? So they send him out to a place called Damascus. And Saul, small lad, needs some henchmen. So they put big henchmen with him and they send them off on horses and they go off there. Right. Now, as they leave Jewish soil, something happens. There is an encounter that, that uh, Saul has. But before we look, at, we look at that and I read the scripture, I want to ask the question, what has God invested in Saul, up to this point, what do you think? What's he invested in him? You can shout out. No? Okay, knowledge of the law. So he knows his scriptures inside out. What else? Okay, so he's got various languages. Yeah? He's got the, the Roman citizenship, so that gives him passage to places. He's actually learned off Gamaliel the art of letter writing, which is quite rare because Gamaliel used to write to the synagogues. So you can see there's a lot of stuff already invested in Saul. What's God's return on investment up to this point on Saul? What's he getting back from Saul? <laughs> yeah, it's neg negative, isn't it? I mean, it's no, it's no positive return. It's a negative return on, on his investment. I guess that's true for many people because God invests in everybody. Now, uh, let me just get this clear before I go on. I'm not saying that when we're saved, that God expects us to do things for him. It's not like you must give me a return on my investment, okay? 
but it's rather that he loves us so much and wants to work with us. He wants us to worship him. And out of that love for us, we want to partner with him, don't we? We want to give him a return of investment, yeah? So this isn't about guilt or anything. This is about how can I, Lord, do more for you? How can I give you a return on everything you invested into this unique character that is me, that is you? Yeah, you with that? So, right, let's look at what happens next. Hudson, have you, are you there? Oh, yeah, you've got some scriptures, some Acts from Acts 9, is it? They're up. Oh, yeah, there they go. There you go. Um, so suddenly, a light from the sky flashed around him. It's against Saul, yeah? And he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Yeah? And he said the name twice to make sure that, you know, so that means listen to me. Why are you persecuting me? So Saul is, is on his knees. There's a blinding light that he's, he's shielding his eyes from, and a voice comes out of it. And Saul says, who are you, Lord? You know, he knows the scriptures. He knows what angelic visitations are like. And he, he knows that if there's something from God, you've got to be pretty careful. Um, and the voice comes back. Last thing that he wanted to hear. I am Jesus who you persecute. Get up and go into the city where you'll be told what you must do. Yeah? And interestingly, the other, the other men around him uh, could see the light but not hear the voice. Is, it, is there more, Hudson? Is there another one? Was that it? No, that's okay. So, so then Saul, see, he has this encounter, doesn't he? What Saul needed for a return of investment is three things. He needs an encounter with Jesus to stop this mindset that he's in, yeah? He needs to be, com uh, he needs a conviction that he's actually in the wrong, not doing God's will. So he needs to be convicted of his sins. And three, he needs a new mission. He needs uh, to commit himself to Jesus, yeah? So those three things. He needs an encounter. He needs conviction of his sins. And he needs a mission. He needs to commit himself to Jesus. So, let's, so first of all, he's had this encounter, yeah? Then he goes into uh, Damascus. He's got instructions to go to a place called uh, Straight Street, which is still there if you go to Damascus, and to meet a man called Judas. Uh, it was a popular name in those days. And he arrives with his entourage of henchmen, which immediately dump him and leave him. I think they're frightened. So he's now on his own. Judas opens up the door. He's got a big banquet laid out, because that was their hospitality culture, ready for this man and his team. And this little man comes in. He's blind. He won't eat. He won't drink. And he just sits in the corner praying for three days. That's weird, isn't it? Because he's waiting for some instructions, and Judas hasn't got any instructions for him. What's happening in those three days? Huh? He's being convicted of his sins, isn't he? He's, he's working this through. My gosh, this is Jesus. I've been persecuting Jesus. And he's realizing that actually, when he thought he was doing God's work, he was opposing God. So he's being convicted of that. And then he gets a vision. And a man called Ananias, who lives in Damascus, gets a vision. I want you to think about, imagine you're Ananias. I don't think he could have been a Christian for more than, or follow Jesus for more than one or two years at most. And he gets a vision. He gets a dream where the Lord appears to him and says, Ananias, this man called, there's a man called Saul. He's in Straight Street. I want you to go to him and I want you to pray over him. He's blind and you've got to heal his sight 
and then give him this message that I've got for him. Yeah? Ananias knows who this guy is. He's come to get Ananias and his family and drag them off to Jerusalem uh, and, and uh, persecute them, hasn't he? And, and the other people at the church. So Ananias, he's got no guarantees from Jesus that he won't get arrested or get duffed up, has he? He's just told to go and do this. But because he's heard from the Lord, he is faithful. He finds where Saul is and he goes to Saul and he lays his hands on Saul. And Saul's had a vision of this happening, a man of an Anani- called Ananias coming. As he lays his hand on him, scales fall off his eyes and he can see. Yeah? So this guy, he's not only heard from God in the vision, he's now, he's now healed the blind. <laughs> Uh, and then he gives them his message, and his, the message that Paul was told he would get. So Paul's ready for this message. He's, he's been fasting for three days now, almost at death's door. And the message comes, and the message is, I want you to take the good news of Jesus, the good news of me, to the Gentiles, i.e. the non-Jews, the Greeks and everybody else, and then to kings, and then to Jews also. So basically, your priority is the Gentiles, you're going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. That was the message he gave Paul. Yeah. So that is his commission. So he's been. He's got his encounter. He's got his conviction, and he's got his purpose. He got his commitment, hasn't he, to do that? You know. And we need that, don't we? You know. If there's going to be a return on investment, we need to encounter Jesus. You know. We need to be convicted of our sins. And we need, a, we need a new mission, don't we? You know, I remember what I was like before I encountered Jesus, you know, before I really went for it. And it wasn't, it wasn't good. It wasn't pretty. You know, I needed, a new, I needed a new mission. I needed a new purpose in life. You know, and Paul set about doing this. And he did uh, um, some amazing stuff in Damascus. Almost got killed for doing it. So left there, went to Jerusalem, almost got killed for speaking out in Jerusalem. And he got sent away, got sent back to Tarsus. And, then, and, and Barnabas and the others said to him, look, we'll come and get you soon. Uh, but stay in Tarsus for a bit. Eight years, seven or eight years he was out there. And I just wondered if any of you feel like you've come out of, you've come out of the battle. You, you started strongly, but you're in this sort of like period where you're not doing what you feel you should be doing for God. And I think that's perhaps what we were doing a bit earlier for those that came forward. You know, where, God, what do you want uh, me to do? Why am I in this sort of sideline? I've been there a few times where I felt sidelined. But, um, you know, God was working in Paul and preparing him during that period. And I think during that period, he, 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 he looked through all of the scriptures that he knew and put Jesus into them and, and realized how Jesus fitted right throughout the scriptures and worked out the Christian theology that he was then going to share and write about. And, and it's been interesting for me as, as I look back over my life because I've done a podcast recently and I had to sort of like say what I'd done, a bit of a life story. And I realized for the first time that a lot of stuff I had done as a young Christian, I'd laid down without even realizing I'd laid it down. You know, I'd, I'd been th- I did three years involved in mission work Stopped doing it. I got involved in youth work. I done. I played worship. I was learning a language. Um, I was preaching regularly uh, as a young man. I did, I did my theological training. I was preaching, and I stopped it all. But actually, and on one occasion, I did. I, I, one weekend, I was doing some healing prayer, 
um, j- just one weekend, it just happened. Um, and then I just laid it down thinking it was just for that weekend. And then when I got involved in Macedonia, I found myself speaking regularly. I found myself um, praying for healing regularly, doing mission work, because <laughs> that's what it was. And even recently, I got, um, ended up having to pick the guitar up and lead some worship as well. And it was like, gosh, you, you, you sort of, can you, you, can you follow me? Do you know what I'm saying here? Is that actually sometimes we don't realize what God's doing in our life, do we? No, he's made that initial investment of you, of who you are, of your complete uniqueness that he absolutely loves. But at the same time, he's still putting money, he's still investing into you, even when you're not aware of it. You know, right throughout your life, I'd say God is investing in you. So the question then is, why, how, what do I do with this? What do I do with what God's invested in me? You might be feeling the point today where you want more from God. Yeah? You, you want to see more. You want to do more. You actually love, it, love Jesus and you want to have a return on that investment. If some of you... Um, will be there for the first time. You need an encounter. You need to commit yourself to Jesus. You need to follow him. If that's you, then I really encourage you to come forward, perhaps on this side afterwards, and, we, and we'll pray that through for you. Or you can make that commitment now. Hold your heart and give your life to Jesus. Say, come on, Lord, I need you. I'm sorry for what I've done. I want to follow you. But for those of you who know Jesus and you just want more from him, how do you experience more of God? That's the question, isn't it? If you want more, how do you get more? Um, first thing I would say is ask for more. Um, uh, a man I greatly admire, who's called Roland Evans, ran World Horizons, said once, once said once to us, everything from God is good. So if something is on offer from God, why would you not want it? Amen? You follow that? If God is offering you something today, why would you not want it? And, and it comes to mind, I was in the Trinity House, we had a Saturday Holy Spirit thing, and there was a lady called Jeannie Morgan from the Soul Survivor Church, I think. Wonderful speaker, actually. And she said afterwards, you know, anybody who wants to speak in tongues who doesn't, come forward, and, and you will receive tongues. She was that confident. And then she said, if you're already speaking tongues, come and get a second language. I thought, I didn't even know that was a thing. But, but I went forward, I said, yeah, I'll have a second language. She prayed for me, and I did. And and it was amazing. But what really struck me was that only a third, perhaps to less than a half anyway, went forward. Why wouldn't you go forward for that? It's not going to do you any harm speaking in tongues, is it? If it's from God, it's good. And I think we need to ask more from God. You and I need to ask more. You know, is there, some of you feel that you shouldn't keep asking of God. I know some people have said that to me. L- let me hand up parents. Who's, got, who's, who's a parent here? A few parents, yeah. Children ask, don't they? Who's been a child? <laughs> you all ask for things, don't you? My, my youngest, okay, once he said to me, he's, he's a teenager, he wasn't a small child, he said, I want you to build a ball pit under my bed, under, uh, you know, under this cabin bed. I said, don't be ridiculous, I am not doing that. You know, and he kept asking, I said, look, you can, you can ask me till you're blue in the face, Simeon. I am not building you a ball pit under your bed. Six months later, when all the balls had arrived, and I've got the netting, and I've got the matting, and I've got LED lights that are, are music activated, 
you know, and I, I'm building this ball pit. And I'm thinking, how on earth have I built this? What, what am I doing? How did they talk me into this? You know, and, you know, before long, there were teenagers all piling up, all jumping into the ball pit, 14 in one go, I think. But anyway, I say, how did you persuade me to do this? How did you do it? Two, two reasons, isn't there? One, he kept asking. And two, I'm his father and I love him. Yeah? Sometimes you've got to keep asking. And it was John Wimber, I think we were talking about the other day. And John Wimber, he was, um, you know, the new, inspired new wine, really. He prayed for two years, I think, for people to be healed. Not a single person was healed. And then the floodgates opened. And sometimes we've got to keep asking of God and not give up asking if we want to receive more. So put more into the bank. Second thing I would say is that make yourself available. You know, if there's, if there's opportunities to go and serve, God say, here I am, Lord. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. You know, there's a couple of opportunities to go and serve. You know, you can come with me to Macedonia. You can go with, um, there's a Kenya trip in October. But there are many ways you can get involved in things. Um, if it's the right time for you, so you, to please just say to God, I'm available to you, Lord. Because God, Lord only uses one type of person, doesn't he? You know, he, you know I, I've seen some incredibly quirky and nerdy people that God is using powerfully. So what? <laughs> but God uses the person that's available. That's the only person he uses. If the person's not available, no matter how strong a Christian you are, if you're not available to be used, you're not used, are you? Hmm. So make yourself available. And I'd say... Just dream more. You know, believe God can do more for you. Ephesians 3.20, Hudson, says um, that he's able to do immeasurably more than we can imagine. You know, and I think some of us have got like a cloak of predictability around our lives, haven't we? We don't imagine enough. But, But it's not saying that everything we imagine God will do, but anything we can imagine, he can do and he can do more. Amen? He can do immeasurably more. 210 Hudson. And you know, and he has a plan. He has a plan for us. He has gone ahead of us. We are unique, yeah. We're not going to do what Paul did. You're not going to do what I do. I'm not going to do what Tim does. You know, you, you, you've, you're, you're a unique individual that Jesus loves so much, so much. And he's got a perfect plan for you that he's gone ahead and prepared for you to do. Hmm. That's great, isn't it? That's great, isn't it? You know, in, in, in Paul's days, kings and noblemen would go in somewhere and they'd send their servants ahead of them to prepare a way for them. But Jesus turns it around, you know. He, the king, goes ahead of you and prepares a plan for you. So God has got great things for you to do. So, just one last slide to put up, I think, on predictability. So just, we'll just, which we'll just leave up. I have no desire to become predictable when the reality I yearn for lies in the ever-changing wildness beyond predictability. I love that phrase, that ever-changing wildness. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit, isn't it? That's the Holy Spirit that can do far more than we can ever imagine. Amen. Amen. What do you want from God tonight? What do you want in your lives? How much do you want to give a return on investment? You know? Can we pray for God for renewal of our mind? Pray, Lord, give me bigger dreams. Show me what I can do, Lord. Take me beyond where I am. Break down this predictability around my life. And help me get into that ever-changing wildness of your Holy Spirit. And be available for you. Amen? Amen.
if the band can come up. Hmm. I just want to give some chance to, to follow on from where we started today, really. You know, we talked about having an encounter, didn't we? And Paul had his encounter. It was a powerful encounter. It changed his life. And he went on to do things you couldn't imagine, he, he, things he'd ever imagined. For example, you know, he's a tent maker. They, they used to take his cloak, his overalls, and when people touched his overalls, they were healed. Or take his handkerchiefs. <laughs> he could never have imagined that, could he? But beyond his wildest imagination, what happened in Paul's life. And that, and, and that wildness is there for us too. Amen.